for some reason, sports is just way too welcoming. And it just wants everyone to feel like their uh, opinion has a place in the world. Well, guess what? It f***ing doesn't. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome inside the Fantasy Flexicution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Palshadi. And normally, I'd be joined by the best doggone co-host this podcast has ever seen. But Kyle couldn't join us tonight. Don't worry, he'll be back for our main section. Our main segment of the show, that is. And that is our bold prediction show, baby. It's finally here. Things are going to get spicy. But first, there is something that I want to say. So, I want to take a moment to recognize the service members that we lost uh, this past week in Afghanistan, they truly are the best of us. They're American heroes, and uh, they are as follows. Staff Sergeant Darren T. Hoover, 31 years old, from Salt Lake City, Utah. Sergeant Johnny Rosario Picardo, 25, from Lawrence, Massachusetts. Sergeant Nicole L. Gee, 23, from Sacramento, California. Corporal Hunter Lopez, 22 years old, from Indio, California. Corporal Deegan W. Page, 23 years old, from Omaha, Nebraska. Corporal Umberto A. Sanchez, 22 years old, from Longsport, Indiana, or Logansport, Indiana, excuse me. Lance Corporal David L. Espinoza, 20 years old, from Rio Bravo, Texas. Lance Corporal Jared M. Schmitz, 20 years old, from St. Charles, Missouri. Lance Corporal Riley J. McCollum, 20 years old, from Jackson, Wyoming. Lance Corporal Dylan R. Marola, 20 years old, from Rancho Cucamonga, California. Lance Corporal Kareem Nikui, 20 years old, Norco, California. Navy Hospital Corpsman Maxton M. Soviak, 22 years old, from Burlington Heights, Ohio. And Army Staff Sergeant Ryan C. Naus, 23 years old, from Corrington, Tennessee. They were all killed this past weekend serving their country, protecting our freedom. And we should all be grateful. I appreciate you guys listening to that. But now, it's time to get into the news. Ladies and gentlemen, could I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Extra, extra, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. So the biggest news of the week, Cam Newton was cut and Mac Jones was named the starter in New England. What a day for the weapons and the fantasy outlook there in New England. It's all systems go for Damian Harris as an RB2. And you got guys like Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar also getting a nice bump. So things are changing in New England. I think they're changing for the better in terms of fantasy. J.K. Dobbins out for the year. I know this is kind of late, but with that major knee injury, he's leaving behind just Gus Edwards and essentially a creative player in Tyson Williams and Justice Hill. So Gus has a ton of touchdown upside and potential for higher volume there in Baltimore, but his ceiling is pretty much capped. I mean, he doesn't catch passes, and uh, the Ravens haven't shown any desire to use any back in that capacity. 
let alone a back that doesn't have much of a history of catching passes at all. So I think Gus could be an RB2. I'm looking at him as more of a high-end RB3. Um, but considering you know where you probably drafted Gus, you weren't expecting him to get the volume that he's going to see now that J.K. Dobbins is on the IR. Speaking of that, Travis DTN, he underwent a successful surgery for his Liz Frank injury. Recovery time from this one, what I've read, is essentially three to four months. Uh, tough to see. I know uh, I was a big Travis Etienne guy coming into this year, especially during this offseason around rookie draft time. Uh, but, you know, it's football. It happens, and uh, we got to be ready to pivot. So James Robinson gets a huge bump. Um, I know he's not going to get the volume that he saw last year, um, but I still think he can see a lot. His composition for touches in that backfield is Carlos Hyde. In my opinion, he's busted. Carlos Hyde is, is, is nothing to worry about. James Robinson is definitely the better back there in Jacksonville. So, I could see him being, uh, you know, not as much, but I'd say 90% or 80% of what he was last year. And that's not terrible, considering that you were expecting him to split carries with Travis Etienne or seed all the passing with Travis Etienne. Now you can see him getting those targets. I mean, he had 50 targets last year, um, so it's not crazy to think that he has – or he had 50 catches, excuse me. It's not crazy to think that he has 40 this year. You know, you get an extra game in. He's going to lose some work. He's not going to get that same uh, rush share, target share that he had last year, but something close to that, not bad in my opinion. I'd say an RB2. Evan Ingram, he had a calf injury, um, but he's back at practice and, in quotes, on track to suit up for week one. So uh, Evan Ingram, we talked about him a little bit, I, th- I believe, last week. Um, a ton of targets for a guy that didn't produce much at all. I mean, he had over 100 targets last year, and you would never know it if you didn't have him on your team because, you know, he was so silent. He, he made no waves in the fantasy community, and now he's going into week one with a calf injury, a player that has been injured very often in his career. Not great to hear, not great to see. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was a late-round target for me, but coming in the year with an injury, I'd probably just stay away if you're, if you're hopping into a draft this week. Carson Wentz, coming back from surgery and a short stint on the COVID list, remains optimistic that he'll play in week one. So, obviously, this this would bode well um, for the weapons there. you got Michael Pittman, uh, Paris Campbell, uh, my boy Mike, Michael Strong, Michael Strachan. I can't remember. I don't know how to say his last name. But uh, the rookie out of Charleston, big kid. I think he's like 6'4", 225. He's looked really good in preseason. I think this bodes well for all those guys. Especially since uh, T.Y. Hilton is going to be out on a short-term IR for three weeks. So if Carson comes back and T.Y. Hilton is out, that leaves the door open for guys like Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell um, to finally take that step forward. And, um, you know, I would not mind a a nice, solid investment in Michael Pittman right now. I think he can be the alpha. I think he's built to play that role. And uh, he's finally getting that opportunity with T.Y. Hilton out of the way. Several Giants players have returned to practice. Kadarius Toney, Kenny Galladay, and Saquon Barkley uh, all back at practice this week and are all hoping to suit up for week one. I say hoping because the, it's been very wishy-washy when it comes to Saquon Barkley. And in terms of Kadarius Toney and Kenny Galladay, they've missed nearly all of the training camp as well in the preseason process. So a lot of question marks in New York. I would try to avoid starting any of these guys in week one, even Saquon Barkley. Um, I, I bet he'll probably be on a pitch count come week one if he plays at all. And, uh, you know, a pitch count, Saquon Barkley is still probably better than your RB3 or 4 on your roster. But if you can afford not to start him, I would totally try to avoid it. And you know how I feel about Kenny Galladay, huge bust. 
CD Lamb, he's off the COVID list and ready to go for week one. Nothing to worry about there. Ron Rivera says that he's confident that Curtis Samuel will play week one. I'm a huge believer in the talent of Curtis Samuel, but his offseason has been tumultual, tumultual, tumultuous to say the least. And I'm just not confident that he'll be ready to produce as early as week one. I mean, he's had no offseason. Um, he has been in a similar offense before. He's worked with this head coach and offense coordinator before, but he still has to um, get that relationship with Ryan Fitzpatrick down and be able to meld together to produce. I mean, he's not a guy that runs basic routes. I mean, he runs crossers. He runs timing routes. He runs deep balls. He's going to be used all over the field when healthy, but you have to build that relationship with your quarterback. So that's something that I'm worried about with Curtis Samuel. Not that you're necessarily or at least you shouldn't necessarily be counting on him week one. But if you drafted him hoping that you maybe got him cheap because of the injuries, I would still play it safe. Take some time before you're ready to send Curtis Samuel into your lineup. Ron, or excuse me, Gio Bernard has a mild high ankle sprain. That's in quotes, mild high ankle sprain. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say that a high ankle sprain is mild. I certainly haven't. Anytime I've heard a high ankle sprain, it, it scares me. You know, I start getting those bells are ringing, the red lights are flashing. This is not good news for an older running back. I believe he's 29 now, 30 years old maybe. And he has some competition in that backfield with Leonard Fournette, who produced very well in the playoffs. I'm not very high on Leonard Fournette, but if you're already coming into week one with a high ankle sprain and Leonard Fournette knows the offense, has produced in that offense, and then you have a guy like Ronald Jones, who's definitely the most athletic or at least the fastest back in that backfield, the most explosive back in that backfield, I would be concerned if you were planning on throwing Gio Bernard into a flex spot or something week one against Dallas, if he plays at all. Moving on, Anthony McFarland on the short-term IR. Not really so much news, but I think it'd be good to bring up because if you were at all worried about Najee losing some, some receptions or any work whatsoever, um, you can throw that out the window. Pittsburgh is going to use him as a workhorse early and often, and uh, he just may be an RB1. Irv Smith out for the year with a meniscus injury. So we got the news that he had that meniscus injury, but we weren't really sure if it was going to be you know, a cleanup procedure or full-blown uh, meniscus repair, and it turned out to be the latter. So he's out for the season. In response to that, Minnesota went and traded a fourth-rounder for Chris Herndon and some other late picks in return. Um, and he joins Tyler Conklin to make up the tight end room in Minnesota. You know, I, I don't know if either one of them will produce, but in my opinion, I'll put my money on Tyler Conklin. Chris Herndon has had that good rookie year, but has shown absolutely nothing since then. He can't stay healthy. Um, I don't know if it was a problem learning a playbook or just not being available in New York, but his his career derailed quickly. I know they spent a fourth rounder to get him, so they, they'll definitely be uh, inclined to get him up to speed quickly and get him on the field. But I wouldn't hold my breath. Chris Herndon has let us down before. I would not be surprised if it happens again. Tariq Cohen, he landed on the puppy. Landed on that pup list, opening the door for massive volume for David Montgomery. I'm sure we all saw this coming. But officially having Tariq Cohen on the pup list, he's going to miss the first six games of the year. So David Montgomery, man. I mean, I've talked a lot of bad stuff about David Montgomery over the past two years, but, but there's no denying that he is going to have workloads similar to Najee Harris. He's going to have 
He's going to have every opportunity to succeed for fantasy and in real football. I think he's definitely worth an investment. He'll be a great RB2, um, at least for the first six weeks of the year, and uh, maybe even year-long if Tariq Cohen's injury keeps lingering throughout the season. Moving on, Michael Thomas also landed on that puppy list. As was expected, he too will miss the first six games of the year. So Marquez Callaway, um, if you're buying into that hype, you know you got at least the first six weeks of the year for him to prove himself to be that alpha, to be that number one receiver down there in New Orleans catching passes from Jameis Winston. Um, all, along with him, you have Deontay Harris, you have Lil Jordan Humphrey, you have Adam Troutman. Um, it's going to be sketchy, I think. I, I would not expect... Uh, Jameis to be the same Jameis he was in Tampa Bay, throwing 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. You got to remember, he was throwing to one of the best wide receiver cores in the league, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. You can't just take that situation in Tampa Bay and one for one um, equate it to what he's going to be dealing with in New Orleans. Granted, he has a better coach. He's probably going to scheme him up better than what he had in Tampa Bay with Dirk Cutter, but. You know, Sean, Pay- Sean Payton can't play the game for him. He's, he can't make the on-field split-second decisions that we've seen Jameis struggle with. So I know Jameis was named a starter, and I know that he has Marcus Callaway, but I'm concerned for both those guys because I don't know if Jameis Winston is going to be the starter for long. I don't know if Sean Payton has the uh, patience to deal with some of the uh, knucklehead plays, some of the bonehead maneuvers we've seen Jameis Winston pull over the years. And, uh, you know, if Jameis Winston isn't firing and Marcus Callaway – uh, might not be firing as well. And not to mention, Marcus Callaway sees Jair Alexander, who um, blankets the best wide receivers in the league, let alone an undrafted one playing in a poor offense. So there's my two cents on Marcus Callaway and those, uh, those weapons down there in New Orleans. We got two bust wide receivers that earn another shot to make an impact. And normally I wouldn't put this in the news, but we've, we've talked about these guys a little bit. Jay Jaw. Um, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside in Philly, he somehow survived cuts, and he is the fifth receiver in Philly. And then you have Jalen Hurd making the roster initially down there in San Francisco. So guys that had hype coming out of the draft that never fired, total bust, they have another chance. You know, we, we've seen crazier things happen. Remember, Devontae Parker took a long time to fire. So these guys, you know, they're sticking around at least. They still have that chance. So you truthers are hanging on by a thread. I ain't mad at you, but. Time's ticking. Just might be coming to the end of the line for those guys. John Brown was released, and now we're down to the young guns in Vegas. Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, and Hunter Renfro will be the top three wide receivers for Derek Carr in the Raiders. So, a lot of hype around Brian Edwards last year. Um, a lot of skepticism around Henry Ruggs last year. Neither one of them fired. And now, you know, the Raiders once again bring in a veteran, pay him guaranteed money, and then cut him. Big surprise. You know, stop me if you've heard this before. But what's going on in Vegas is not encouraging. I am not banking on any one of these guys firing. Uh, Hunter Renfro is probably the safest of the three. But I would not blame you taking late shots on these guys. The opportunity could be there. Um, But just remember, you know, when we look at these offenses with top-tier tight ends, the first wide receiver in that offense usually isn't bad but the second wide receiver is usually unstartable in those on those offenses so you know if brian edwards becomes the alpha or henry Ruggs becomes the alpha i don't know if we can count on the other guy producing much of anything or at least not to the level where we'd be comfortable starting him in fantasy so if you can take your shot on one of those guys 
but uh, don't hold your breath. And if you need to get rid of him after week one, you need to cut him because you have some, some roster decisions to make. I would not blame you. Um, I don't know if it's going to get much better down there in Las Vegas. And finally, um, a little bit of cleanup news here. Lions surprise, surprising uh, pretty much everybody by cutting Brashad Perriman. They paid him some guaranteed money as well. Um, he was cut and then immediately signed by the Bears. So uh, say what you will about uh, Darnell Mooney, but he is definitely better at what Brashad Perriman is supposed to be good at, and that's that deep fit wide receiver. So uh, Brashad Perriman is semi-redundant to Darnell Mooney. He's not as good. He's not as young. His projection isn't as, isn't as uh, shiny, I guess you could say. So give up on Brashad Perriman. He's dead. Royce Freeman cut by the Broncos and then signed by the Panthers. Uh, again, one, another one of these uh, not-so-important news, but when we look at Dynasty and we like to get our handcuffs, Chuba Hubbard was the handcuff to have down there in Carolina, and he still may be. Uh, but Royce Freeman, you know, I've always been a fan of Royce Freeman. I think he's a good running back, and uh, I think he could be a good spellback, a little thunder to McCaffrey's lightning down there in Carolina. So... Be aware if you're a Chuba Hubbard guy, Royce Freeman is in town, and uh, he's on the active roster at least right now. So that's it for the news, though. I'm going to bring my boy Kyle Settle back in here, and we're going to get spicy. Bold predictions coming at you. Hey, and by the way, these bold predictions were recorded before the J.K. Dobbins injury. So you're going to hear a bold prediction in here from Kyle that involves J.K. Dobbins. Just disregard the Dobbins point. Still stands by his take. Trust me. I, I asked him. I, I second-guessed him. I said, you sure? You sure you want to do this? But he stands by it. So these are pre-recorded takes. If uh, if you didn't know, J.K. Dobbins, out for the year. So try to disregard that one. And, uh, yep. All right. Moving on. What up? What's good? Kyle Settle back in your earballs. Let's do this. What up, shoddy? Bold predictions time. What's good? All right, bro. I got I got to vent to you for a minute about a pet peeve of mine. Oh boy. So you and I, you are a United States Navy veteran. I am currently active duty. So we go through a lot of changeover with personnel at our workplace. Constantly people coming in, people coming out. And I always, always when I'm getting to know someone, whenever I first got to know you all those years ago, the first thing I do is I probe you for your football knowledge. I probe you. Let's just say <laughs> yeah, I go right there. up to you and I probe you. Swing. No, I, I immediately you have to find out how much you know about the NFL or fantasy football, whatever your niche, how much do you know about it? And I swear, 99% of the time I'm disappointed. I, I, I made the mistake the other day at work of opening up a conversation with a new coworker talking about Aaron Rodgers because – for a few weeks oh, there, that boy. was all anyone wanted to talk about, oh, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> and so we just start talking about potential landing spots for him next year. And he's naming places like San Francisco. Oh, boy. And, and uh, Minnesota, which, like, for two completely different reasons, neither one of those would ever work in a million years. And I just get so mad that I suddenly just don't like the guy anymore. <laughs> like, that's just, bur- I want to burn the whole bridge. And it's like that all the time. It's like, if, if you don't know, the if you don't know football, that's fine. Don't sit here and talk about football with me. Never bring it up in my presence if you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Look, I, I understand, but I'm going to give you a little life hack, a way to deal with these people that I found to be very effective. So when they're saying things like Aaron Rodgers is going to San Fran, he's hitting up the Bay in 2022, 
you just you just dive into it with him deeper. You just get into it with him. Like, like yeah, yeah, maybe he goes to Kansas City, and then he's competing with Mahomes. Oh, yeah. And then they both. Can you imagine? That'd be the best one-two punch at quarterback oh, in the yeah. history you of the just, NFL. You just get way deep into it. <laughs> To the point where they think just they're on to give that one a shot, and then they tell somebody else about it, and you just denied it. Oh like, my why god! Why would I say that? that's ridiculous? Oh my god! Why would I say that? <laughs> I can't do it, even to play along. Mm-hmm. Even right now, like I'm, I'm smiling through tears because I'm just angry because I can see that conversation being had <laughs> by someone somewhere. It's like it's, it's. I wouldn't sit here and pretend to be a political expert, okay? So you won't hear me talking about politics. It, it applies to anything. Yeah. I'm, I, I just don't talk about the things I'm not informed <laughs> about. But for some reason, sports is just way too welcoming, and it just wants everyone to feel like their uh, opinion has a place in the world. Well, guess what? It f-ing doesn't. You know why? Your opinion does not matter. You know why? Because somewhere along the line, some dickhead said that it's just a game, and that got oh picked up gosh. by all the non-competitive people in this world. God bless their soul. But they, they're the reasons why I have to sit through horrible sports conversations in my workplace. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, oh, it's so bad. One of the best and worst things about sports is anyone can take a victory lap for anything. If, if, if you and I are going head-to-head, you say Philly's going to win the Super Bowl. I say Green Bay's going to win the Super Bowl. And Green Bay wins the Super Bowl. You can immediately come back to me and say, oh, yeah, well, let's see how they do next year when Rodgers is gone. There's always that loophole <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to find a W where one does not exist, yeah, where you can just somehow example. manipulate and twist your words. Yeah, perfect example is like, you know, Cam Akers tears his Achilles. Kyle's running victory laps around <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> if you don't know by now, I am always correct. And the two of us are going to explain just how correct we are in today's show. It's been long anticipated. It has been foreshadowed. We are getting in to our bold predictions. Shadi and I East have a handful of predictions that we could see coming true in this next NFL season. I'm going to go out on a limb and guarantee you that 100% of my takes happen to the fullest extent, 1,000%. I will not be wrong about anything. A few bold predictions that I've taken throughout this offseason. First and foremost, the aforementioned Cam Akers. I told you he's not as good as he was being drafted. I'm already one for one, ready to roll (laughs) into my next few takes. This is ridiculous. Sports. Got to love it. All right. You started off our what if segment a week ago. So I am going to start our bold predictions show. And I'm going to start. We're going to go in, in levels of boldness, if you will. So I'm starting off with our more mild takes, and we're working gradually hotter and hotter as we go throughout the show. All right. To start us off. Wrong. The 2000. <laughs> You're going to agree with this one. You're okay. going to bite your tongue. All right, here we go. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't. I would be really surprised if you disagree with this. The 2021 rookie class. I think the draft order was what? Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, uh, Kadarius Toney, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore. Did you forget Terrace Marshall? The sixth wide receiver. Did Marshall go before Moore? I think he... Maybe. I think Marshall went after Moore. Okay. But you can include him in this conversation if you will. Okay. Elijah Moore will finish as the number one rookie wide receiver. Hmm. I don't think it's that bold, but this is the mild take show. This is the mild take. This is is the the warm-up. This is the warm-up. So, 
I will give this you is, this is more or less the celery on the side of the plate <laughs> as you are preparing to get into the yeah, hot but takes. it but it kind of hit your wings so it has some sauce on it yeah just this a little is, bit like, is it a little thing but uh yeah I mean if if you were to tell me before the draft that hey the sixth wide receiver taken in this draft is going to be the most productive one in 2021 I, I would say no you're an idiot but now we're here I'm all about it but I need you to sell me a little bit. I need to hear a little bit. All right. So right now in redraft, and yes, we're a dynasty show, but we're looking at redraft because I'm making predictions about the 2021 season. Elijah Moore is going as the wide receiver 56. Oh, my God. 56. That is re- – I don't get it. Who's So Corey Davis looked good. Elijah Moore was not on the field. It's worth saying. But it's been nothing but camp hype. For the last, what, since since training camp started a few weeks ago, we were hearing him back in OTAs, and he comes with one of the best skill sets of any of these rookie wide receivers. Uh, a few months ago on one of the shows, you talked about his best comparable player on playerprofile.com is Tyler Lockett, which Tyler Lockett, as we talked about back then, wins all over the field. He wins underneath, he wins deep, he's a complete wide receiver, and that's why we see those spike weeks out of him scoring 40, 50 fantasy points on any given week. I think we're going to get more of the same from Elijah Moore. And in Dynasty, he's one of the few assets who's going to be tied to a rookie quarterback of the same year that gets to grow together for one of our favorite teams, the New York Jets. And we're going to see this relationship blossom. Elijah Moore, one of the most talented of the rookie wide receivers. He's going to come out in 2021 and have the best season. Better than Jamar Chase, better than Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, the guys that I think people are taking in front of him. And when Rashad Bateman went down a few weeks ago to the leg injury, it, it, it just fell right into my lap. All right, this is Elijah Moore's season. Stop sleeping on him. He deserves to be mentioned up there with the guys that went back up in the first round. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that, like you said, he's like in the mid-50s in ADP. And I, I just had to double-check you, so I went to find underdog ADP, which is like universally considered like the sharpest, right? Because it's best ball, sure, sure. it's the hardcore guys. The high-money leagues. And he's still going wide receiver 49. So, like, Ugh. it's just – it's universal. I, I, we can't be the only ones that are railing against this ADP. But I'm with you. This is a good take. This is a good take for sure. My, All right. Come in with some more spice. Yeah, so this is still fairly mild, and it's not going to be a surprise if you've listened to my uh, – let's say my complaints about these two players over the past month or so. So my – First take is that Kenny Galladay and Josh Jacobs okay. will both have less than a thousand yards and finish outside of the top twenty-four at their positions. So Josh Jacobs has had more than a thousand yards and six touchdowns every year of his career, and Kenny Galladay, when he's played the majority of his season, has also topped those numbers: thousand yards and six touchdowns. But I think the dysfunction of these teams is too much for these players to overcome. I mean, paying Galladay... a lot of dysfunction. Yeah, I mean, paying Galladay, I think, was smart by the Giants. But then they panic-drafted a wide receiver that isn't really a wide receiver. He's more of a weapon. <laughs> Can we coin that phrase, panic-drafted? Panic yeah, I mean... It, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. It's a thing. I mean, could you not... I, I just picture, like... I picture John Mara in a room just freaking the hell out, sprinting from side to side like a goddamn cartoon. Just like, oh, what are we going to do? <laughs> Yeah, and that's exactly what happened, I'm convinced. Because why do you draft Kadarius Tony there? Either way, they also ignored the offensive line this offseason after having one of the worst in the league. And then, you know, they also, let's not forget, they picked the worst 
of the top four offensive tackles that went in last year's draft in Andrew Thomas. I mean, you had guys like Tristan mm-hmm. Wirfs, Mackay Becton. Um, Such a good class yeah, for great class, and they picked Andrew Thomas, who was a complete bust, at least mm. according to his rookie season. So that, plus the, having the worst GM in the division with the worst quarterback in the division behind the worst offensive line in the division with the worst offensive coordinator in the division, Kenny Galladay is not going to fire, and he's still getting drafted as a wide receiver too. Get the fuck out of here. Not happening. Uh, and then I've talked. I want to say. Go ahead. I want to say that the Giants, the New York football Giants, or the Jersey Giants, have had something like five people retire on them this offseason. Oh, my God. It's like, how long is the Joe Judge experiment going to last? How, how many more chances is Jason Garrett going to get? It's, it's a franchise in disarray. I, I could see them going down the path of becoming the next Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals-esque team. Where just no hope in sight. Just recycling bad front office personnel and bad coaches. Yeah. Uh, totally. What did Jason Garrett do exactly with his years in Dallas to make you think he's worthy of an offensive coordinator spot? Yeah, and it wasn't like a short stint. Like, he was in Dallas for, what, like 10 years? It was a long time yeah. in Dallas. And something like 1.8 million claps, I think, is how he <laughs> measures his time. Yeah, I mean, I so that's Kenny Galladay. And then Josh Jacobs, I've talked about. Yeah, their offensive oh, line just being completely decimated. I've talked about it a million times. I feel like I don't need to to do this much. But then you talk about the dysfunction in that on that team. I mean, they drafted a speed demon wide receiver last year. He's simply a decoy. Um, they paid a discarded running back $11 million. They don't seem to have any direction or evidence of logical decision-making by the head coaches or uh, the front office. And... He's not necessarily an elite running back. I mean, I think he's going to be beaten down both physically and mentally by this team. And outside of Darren Waller, I don't think there's a thousand-yard receiver to take some pressure off of the running game. So you got Darren Waller, and you have a very bad rushing attack. And Josh Jacobs, no matter what you think about him, I don't think he's good enough to overcome this much dysfunction and this much... Uh, just it's just bad all around from from the end of last year all the way into mid-August right now it's been nothing but bad news and it doesn't seem to be getting any better and Josh Jacobs going as I think that the running back 22 is just it's too high for me and I don't think he's going to get over a thousand yards if you're not getting over a thousand yards as a running back who doesn't catch a ton of passes or at least they brought in a pass catching running back to, to take that role from him I just don't think he's going to finish in the top 24 so I know it's fairly you're right mild, that it's not getting but. you're right that it's not getting any better and it's not going to get better for another 6 years, 19 weeks, 14 hours and 52 minutes and 53 seconds. That's how much longer John Gruden has left on his contract <laughs> according to isgrudengoneyet.com, one of my favorite uh, websites. Still owed over 63 million dollars more as part of that deal. I am going to say that I disagree with you. So I guess that makes it a little bit spicy. I disagree with you on both of these guys. I, I just think talent can overcome. I, I agree with you completely that these situations are in complete disarray in Vegas and Jersey, but these guys should be the focal point. Maybe not so much Jacobs with Waller on the team, but these guys should. And then I guess Saquon too, they're, they're at least going to be the number two options. And both of them have carried the load of the number one in the past. So I think the possibility is still there. 
even if I wouldn't predict them for top 24 finishes, I think they're still probably high-end RB slash wide receiver threes going into 2021. And at least as far as Galladay, I think he's going to be a big buy after this season is over. Because we talked about value a little bit last week. With both of these guys, the values is as low as it's going to be. Galladay's may dip a little bit worse if the Giants struggle more in 2021. But if you're a Josh Jacobs believer, now is the time to make a move. Yeah. As soon as Kenyon Drake goes out there and has a statless game or, or maybe a one-carry, one-catch performance, people are going to realize that, hey, Jacob still has this role pretty much to himself, and then your window is going to be closed. So I, I wouldn't bet a ton against it. I, I would, however, say that you're going to be incorrect. Uh, it's time to, to get that thermostat a little higher. Let's turn that bitch up. I want to hear some, right. some hotness. All right. How many running backs finish as RB ones in a season? Hmm. I wasn't prepared for in this. A, in a twelve, in, we'll say in a twelve-team league, how many running backs are RB ones? What color are those red fire trucks? Uh, <laughs> I want to say, is it twelve? It is twelve. Oh, wow! Five of them. One, two, three, four, five of them in 2021 are going to be sophomore running backs. Ooh. Five year two running backs will finish as RB ones in 2019. Now Cam Akers obviously is a big name on that list. He got injured, but don't worry, he was never going to be an RB one anyway. I like DeAndre Swift because of the pass catching, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins because of the volume, Antonio Gibson to expand his game, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just to be more involved in the Kansas City offense, which should be among the best in the league. I like all five of these sophomore running backs to finish in the top 12 at their position. This is pretty hot because I think there's big question marks with every one of these guys. And not not so big that I wouldn't want them as my RB2, but definitely big enough to think that at least one of them won't hit their ceiling of being an RB1. So, I mean, you look at J.K. Dobbins, the biggest question mark for him is obviously the pass catching. You don't really become an RB1 unless you're a pass catcher or Derrick Henry. So that is, that's a big question mark. Also, Nick Chubb. All right, let me, let me go in as well. But let me, let me go in because I think it's pretty well known what the question marks are with these folks. So Jonathan Taylor is probably the safest of these guys. Would you agree? Yes. The, the question marks coming in, they're not huge, but Quentin Nelson and uh, Carson Wentz obviously both injured, and then Marlon Mack is coming back. Naheem Hines is still there to steal passing downs work. I don't see a scenario, though, where the Colts aren't around 500 or better. Okay, should mean a lot of offense, and uh, especially in the run game. I don't think Carson Wentz is going to come back year one in the system and throw the ball 650, 700 times over the course of the season. So even if they are splitting some carries up and splitting some of that receiving game work up, Jonathan Taylor showed last year what he is, that he's capable, obviously, is finishing as a top 12 back. So next up on that list, Antonio Gibson. The touchdown regression May or may not happen. He was very efficient in the end zone or getting into the end zone back in 2020. And then Smooch's J.D. McKissick is still there to steal passing downs work. If Antonio Gibson, over the course of the season, finds himself working into that three downs role, 
We know he has the skill set to do it. The guy is a converted wide receiver playing running back. No one's challenging from carries on the ground. And who's to say they don't roll out both of these guys in the passing game? Who's to say we can't get Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick on the field on third downs? Antonio Gibson's going to be playing with the best quarterback he's ever had in his lengthy two-year career. So maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick, although he is a bit of a gunslinger, can get him the ball in the passing game a little bit more than we saw the combination of Dwayne Haskins or... Taylor Heineke trying last year, the offense as a whole should be better. So even if Antonio Gibson isn't scoring as efficiently, there should be more opportunities for him to score. Next up on the list by ADP is J.K. Dobbins. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He didn't disappoint as badly as everyone thought last season. He wasn't living up to, I think his ADP eventually got to be like top six. And he didn't live up to that. But he still had a fairly solid year with 800 yards on the ground another 300 through the air and five touchdowns the touchdowns that is what's going to make Clyde Edwards Hilaire a an RB1 in 2021 they weren't there he was scoring on something like every 30 35 carries that, that's ridiculous that doesn't happen for running backs and if we see Travis Kelsey like we talked about last week maybe some of these other receivers in the passing game take a step back maybe we see Clyde Edwards Hilaire take that step forward the cool thing and about then the last one the cool thing about CA sorry to cut you off but I mean you look at these other two backs that you that you just recently mentioned uh Gibson and Dobbins is there is RB2s in that offense that can give you pause about the, you know the ceiling for those other players, but Ceh doesn't really have anybody of consequence next to him in that right. backfield. So I think it's wheels all the way up for Ceh. And then the last one, a guy I know that both of us are sold on at least for 2021 is DeAndre Swift. So before the 2020 draft, DeAndre Swift was either the one or one A running back in draft circles, depending on who you ask. Some people were already sold on Jonathan Taylor. I was one of them touting DeAndre Swift. I still think he was the most talented running back in that draft. And I think he's sort of being thought as as maybe a receiving game only back. And I just don't think that's the case. I, I sat through four years of Jamal Williams. I love the guy. He's a great personality. He's great for the team, and he's great at what he does. But he is not a primary running back. To think that he's going to get 200 carries over the course of the season is preposterous. I can <laughs> label it nothing else than preposterous. It's still DeAndre Swift's backfield. Jamal Williams is going to be there to spell him. Oh, gosh, don't, don't do that. <laughs> now I lost all my steam. All right, but DeAndre Swift, I, I would not be surprised if I have to name a running back who's catching over 100 passes this year. McCaffrey, Camaro will be popular choices, but I think Swift is right there in the mix. I would not be shocked to see him catch 100 passes in 2021 with the extra game and the fact that all the other wide receivers on that team are just abysmal. So DeAndre Swift, if he finishes the season with 250 carries, 100 catches in the passing game, well over 1,000 scrimmage yards, he's easily finishing the season as an RB1. So if you got five of these guys as RB1s, that leaves seven spots open for other backs. So obviously you, you got CH, or uh, CMC, Dalvin Cook, Alvin yep. Kamara. Nope, Cook's going to get hurt. So is Henry. <laughs> what the fuck? You can't predict <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about? It's bold takes. I can predict this any way I want. <laughs> okay. Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry. Dalvin Cook has an injury history. Derrick Henry <laughs> is just overdue. These guys are getting hurt. Uh, Alvin Kamara, sure, he's he's still going to be there. Same with Zeke. Uh, Nick Chubb, uh, no, he's going to get cannibalized uh, uh, no. too much. <laughs> just, <laughs> just no. 
He's, he's going to get cannibalized too much. Aaron Jones still finishes as an RB1. Uh, Saquon doesn't get started until week five. Uh, Joe Mixon also finishes as an RB1. Uh, yeah, I think. Is, is that enough? But now? Najee Harris. Enough? People That's have been one, saying Najee Harris, RB1. Uh, no, the volume's going to be there, but the offense is not going to be good enough, and there's going to be too much going to the receivers for Najee Harris to finish as an RB1. Still finishes, we'll call it top 18, maybe top 15, Okay, but not as an RB1. All right, my, my next take is it might not be as hot as that one you just said, but I like it, and I think it's – when you lay it out there, it really is kind of staggering. So I think every team in the NFC West will field a fantasy quarterback one and a fantasy wide receiver one. So if you look to the West, that's Russ to DK out in Seattle, Kyler to DeAndre Hopkins out in Arizona. Those seem like locks. Then you go Stafford to Woods, specifically Woods, not Cup, in L.A. And then the last one, the one I really got to sell you on, and that's Lance to Ayuk in San Francisco. And I don't think anybody would be surprised about Ayuk being a wide receiver one because of how incredible. You don't think so? Well, at least compared to Lance being a quarterback one. So I'm going to try to sell you okay. on Lance first. So in a historically high-scoring season, to finish as the quarterback 12 or higher last year, a quarterback would have needed a rushing quarterback, right? This would be roughly their, their stats, right? 3,200 passing yards, which is about 200 yards a game, 700, y- or 700 yards total, which is about 40 yards per game rushing, and about 21 total touchdowns between rushing and passing. So an average weekly stat line for for a really good rushing quarterback, right? That like a Lamar Jackson style uh, stat line would be roughly 200 passing yards, 40 rushing yards, and 1.3 touchdowns. So you're looking at one to two touchdowns a week. That's rushing and receive, rushing and rushing and passing combined. I think that if you look at Trey Lance, as long as he gets to start week one or week two, I'm predicting week two, that I think he can hit those marks easily in the Shanahan offense. The reason why is because I think 3,200 passing yards is not a lot for a guy of his talent, especially throwing to the guys that he has in Ayuk, uh, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. They're all yak monsters. He doesn't need to be this downfield bomb thrower, even though we've already seen him do that in in his short experience in the NFL. The rushing yards. uh, 40 yards per game rushing. That is really not that much if you think about it. I mean... um, Lamar Jackson has had a thousand yards rushing in his two bomb seasons, but you look at guys like Patrick Mahomes; he has about you know four or five hundred yards rushing, or uh, three to four hundred yards rushing. I think Trey Lance can easily get to seventy yard, seven hundred yards rushing, especially on those boom weeks where he breaks out a fifty yarder, you know, on one play. I think that's easy. And then one point three three touchdowns a game. I mean, I think he can get one touchdown a game easy, and all it takes is a few extra uh, quarterback sneaks or. Uh, you know, four or five yard rushes down there in the red zone, or even a quick dump off to a running back that takes it in the end zone for him to get a second touchdown per week. So I think it's an easy lock to say that if he starts week one or week two, which I believe he will, that he'll finish as a quarterback one. And if he finishes as a quarterback one, then Brandon Ayuk is going to be the biggest beneficiary of that, and I have him finishing as a WR1 in this scenario. So let's paint the negative picture. Let me ask you, what is the latest week in the season that Oof. Trey Lance could start and still be a QB1? If he started, let's say he started week five on, 
he would probably need a thousand yards rushing, about thirty five hundred yards passing, and probably about twenty five to thirty touchdowns total. So if he was so if he started week five, meaning he plays he starts twelve games, mm-hmm. that would be at least dating back for the last ten years, the fewest games needed for a quarterback to finish as a QB1. Not just a rookie quarterback, but any quarterback Mm -hmm. to finish as a QB1. There's only been two instances in the last 10 years where a quarterback has played 13 games and finished as a quarterback one. One of those, three, four years ago with your boy Carson Wentz, played 13 games, finished as the QB, depending on your scoring, QB8. Another name on this list that you should also be familiar with, back in 2013... Nick Foles started 13 games and finished just at the tail end as the QB 12. So if it takes till week five for Trey Lance to get going, he's going to separate himself as one of the best QB ones in the shortest time frame, at least dating back for the last decade. Goddamn right he is. Hey, I'm on board. All aboard the Lance train. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, that's definitely the bold part of that. Uh, Seattle and Arizona, you could pretty much dismiss because all four of those guys, the two quarterbacks, the two receivers, are already being drafted that way that they're going to finish as ones at their position. The San Francisco part that you just explained and defended, very bold. And then I think that the Rams part is a little bit bold, too, just because you're calling your shot and you're saying it's going to be Robert Woods, not Cooper Cup. Yeah, I think Robert Woods is going to see the biggest bump in volume. I think Cooper Cup is probably going to be the touchdown leader. But I think Woods can go easily over 1,200 yards, maybe seven, six, seven touchdowns, and a ton of grabs. I think he's going to catch a shit ton of passes this year. Yeah, all that being said, you are lost in the woods with that awful prediction. Lost in the woods. You know, that's right. about Frozen 2. There is there a Frozen 2? What? You said they're coming out with You've it? You've never seen Frozen 2? Bro, I've never watched all of Frozen 1. Oh, my God. Uh, you have sons. I don't have any daughters. Yeah, have any daughters. I have nothing but sons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm ready to piss you off. It's time. Ooh. The prediction. A guy going in the top five in redraft this year. Travis Kelsey. Oh, no. Is going to finish 2021. Not as the tight end one. Not as the tight end two. Not as the tight end three. He will finish outside the top three tight ends in the NFL in 2021. And that may not seem as bold as it actually is. But if you take into account where Travis Kelsey is being drafted right now and what he's being drafted to do, that is a high bar for anyone to hit, much less a 31-year-old tight end who will be 32 in the middle of this season. He played the most physical, the most physically demanding position on the offense in the NFL. So dating back with Travis Kelsey. We talked about this a few months ago during our tight end preview where I was the lowest of us on Travis Kelsey. He's been a top two fantasy tight end every season since 2016. Number one in three of those four seasons. 100-plus targets, 15-plus games. The model of consistency, right? Right? Yep. (laughs) All right. It's (laughs) not going to continue. (laughs) I I can't take anything away from what he's done over the last, what, six years of his career. He's been completely outstanding. the GOAT. But let's go ahead and put him amongst the elite company where he belongs. At some point in this season – 
He's 802 yards away from moving into the top five all time for receiving yards. I'm betting it's not going to happen, but if it does, he's going to put himself behind Tony Gonzalez, Jason Witten, Antonio Gates, and Shannon Sharp. Elite company, elite tight ends. All of those guys played from 2000 on. So it's not like we're taking Mike Ditka's 2000 or 1980s stats and comparing them to the modern NFL. These guys were playing modern football. All right. Mm-hmm. The four guys ahead of him again: Tony Gonzalez, Jason Witten, Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp. Played a combined 23 seasons at age 32 and over, and in 22 of those 23 seasons, they did not break. A thousand yards. Only one season, Tony Gonzalez had more than 77 catches. All right, so 22 of those 23 th- seasons, under a thousand yards, under 77 catches. The wheels are going to fall off for Travis Kelsey. I'm predicting it to happen this year. Worst case is I'm wrong and it happens next year or in 2023. If this entire offseason hasn't been enough of an example or enough of a red flag, all right, I am waving the red flag. Get rid of Travis Kelsey while you can. This is one of your last opportunities to sell him at a high level. The wheels are coming off, friends. You can hear him squeaking. And we're going down the highway. We're going down the motherfucking Autobahn at 120 kilometers per hour. All right? I don't even think that's that fast. We'll say 180 kilometers per hour. And the wheels are about to fall off. Travis Kelsey, not the tight end three, top three tight end that everyone's drafting him to be, much less the number one overall. Wheels are coming off. You heard it here first. Not only are you saying that he's going to have a huge fall off, but you're saying it after he had the literal best season of his Hall of Fame career. (laughs) These are not milk toast predictions. No, I mean... You're saying he won't even get 800 yards. He had 1,400 yards last year. That's right. He also had and 11 just, touchdowns. Just to be clear, baked into this prediction, and this is going to sound like a cop-out, but when you're old and you play a physical <laughs> sport and one of the most physical <laughs> positions, Travis Kelsey is, let me do the math, he's six months older than me. I know what it's like when I sleep wrong and how it affects me for weeks. All right, Injuries happen in the NFL. It's a sport with a 100% injury rate, and tight end is near the top of that. These guys get hurt a lot, and Travis Kelsey's never been hurt. He's due. That injury is coming. And a lot of people will say, I'll take it as a fake L the same way I do with Cam Akers. But you know what? I got zero exposure to Cam Akers, so I'm not the one left holding yeah. the bag. When it's 2024 and you're and Travis Kelsey starts to fade, you're gonna be like, told you. Told you. <laughs> I called it three years ago. <laughs> All right, so in typical fashion, your boldest take is negative, and my boldest take is positive. So I am going to say that LaVisca Chenault will finish as the highest-scoring wide receiver in the AFC South and route to a WR1 season. So a top-12 season, outscoring A.J. Brown. Specifically, wanted to make that clear okay, for you A.J. Brown yeah, fanboys. And you have to. For, for anyone who's going through their head and trying to name all the fantasy-relevant wide receivers in the AFC South, it goes AJ, Julio, Vishka. Don't worry about the rest. Anyway, about that. So, LaVisca Chanel, ADP of wide receiver 42. Right? So, I'm saying he's going to jump 30 spots from his ADP to where he's going he's gonna to finish. Right? He finished as a wide receiver 45 last year after missing two-plus games and catching balls from Jake Luton. Okay, based on his college profile and his measurables, he's best comparable 
to the A.J. Brown that I'm saying he's going to outscore. He, do, he doesn't have the competition for targets like A.J. Brown has in a Julio Jones. He's comparing, or he's competing with the likes of D.J. Chark, who, in my opinion, is not a number one receiver. He's more of a deep threat who's recovering from surgery. And the reports out of camp have been nothing but negative. And Urban Meyer says he's a little bitch. Exactly. Reports have been nothing but negative, saying Chark's a soft-ass mother... Uh, he's not playing to his size. And they also... Urban Meyer got really hip-hop this season. <laughs> and they brought in a receiver that plays the exact same role Chark plays in Marvin Jones. But, once again, I don't think Marvin Jones is anything close to uh, the competition that A.J. Brown would see in a Julio Jones because he's not typically a high-volume receiver. I mean, last year he had the most targets of his career at 115. The next closest wide receiver... In Detroit was the the corpse of Danny Amendola with 69 targets. Okay, so nice. Marvin Jones didn't get these targets because he was necessarily like, you know, demanding all these targets. He was the only guy on the team that was worth targeting outside of T.J. Hawkinson, and he was a tight end, obviously. And he also had Matthew Stafford thrown in the ball. So put that together with Lavisca getting the upgraded quarterback and Trevor Lawrence. I'll go back to Mike Clay's projections. He has Trevor Lawrence throw in 364 completions on 572 attempts, 4,080 yards, 24 passing touchdowns. So if those projections are solid, I think you can expect around 135 targets and 100 receptions for the best receiver in that receiver core in LaVisca Chennault. And I think those receptions can go for around 1,300 to 1,400 yards and 8 to 10 touchdowns if he's healthy over 17 games. And I'm saying he's going to be healthy. So all that would fit him snugly as a low-end wide receiver one and outscoring guys like A.J. Brown, um, Julio Jones, um, Cooper Cup, any wide receiver in Pittsburgh, all those guys that are get, getting drafted ahead of him that people think have the upside. I think LaVisca Chanel has the highest upside of the guys going around him and so high that if Trevor Lawrence hits – which we all think he will, I think LaVisca Chanel is going to solidify himself as a force in the NFL and a mainstay in fantasy rosters. That's your boy. So I'll give you credit. You're st- you've stuck with the theme this whole offseason, even way back in, uh, what was it, June, when There's we were going through years. our wide receiver rankings. It's been two years with LaVisca Chanel. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you were – I mean, it was documented at least all the way back to June. But I, I remember pre-draft last year, you were definitely singing his praises. So you have not wavered. Nope. You have not wavered. Good for you. Obviously, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are what stands in his way of your prediction coming true. I could see one or the other. Either he's the best AFC wide receiver or AFC South wide receiver because, I mean, it's possible that A.J. Brown or Julio Jones get hurt, and so he wins by default. And I could also see him finishing as a low-end wide receiver one, maybe on his best season, or at least where his ceiling's at for 2021. So to predict them both together is definitely bold. Mm-hmm. So if you're wrong, what are you going to give me? If I'm wrong, I'll never talk about LaVisca Chanel again. That's fake. No, you're not going <laughs> to do that. You can't You can't host a fantasy podcast and say I'm not going to talk about a certain player. I'll just call him, so I'll give him a nickname. My little Chanel Nault. <laughs> That's lame. That is super so lame. lame. Please cut that. 
No, nah, now you can't cut it. She, you, no, no. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> keep it in there now. Uh, I have some other bold oh. takes that I want you to hear. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Let's let's rattle some. These off aren't necessarily that. You know, I don't have the conviction of these ones that I did on the previous ones, but I gotta I gotta let you know. So, I think those top three rookie running backs, Javante Williams, Najee Harris, and Travis Etienne, could all finish as RB twos as soon as this year. I I think that's definitely in the realm. I can see that. Yeah, the realm of possibilities. I know it's kind of bold because there's a ton of RB twos going uh, in rounds like three and four that people are super high on. I would say. I would say that's more of an italicized take, not necessarily a bold take, and definitely not like a bold and underlined take, where you like bump the font size yeah. up to like twenty four. Change the definitely change not the font there. Color, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's it's enough. It's noticeable. Yeah. It's italicized. All right, my first quick one: the L.A. Rams passing game will have four number ones at their position: Matt Stafford, Tyler Higby. Robert Woods and Cooper Cup all finish as number ones at their position. So you got two wide receivers finishing as or, or wide receiver ones. That's that's very bold. Happens more often than you think. Look back, every almost every single season, there's a pair of teammates that finish as number ones at their position. It's not hard to be a top twelve tight end, even though Higby's being drafted as I think the tight end eighteen right now. That's Stupid! Outrageous. Get your head out of your ass. Come on, people. What are we doing? Preposterous. <laughs> and then Matt Stafford, uh, that, that'll be somewhere near his ceiling, but I don't think anyone would be shocked if he finishes as the QB 10, the QB 12, that's somewhere in that area. So I can see it happening. I like that passing game. I'm in on it. All right. I, yeah, I kind of like that one. It's not bad. So the, my next one, the hot one, it's none of the top three players on Dallas by ADP will live up to their ADP. So I think Zeke is going in the first round. I think, you know, very easy to think he could lose touches to Tony Pollard, so he wouldn't live up to the ADP. Dak's injury lingering or resurfacing throughout the year, I think that's a reason he wouldn't live up to his ADP. And then CeeDee Lamb suffers because because Dak's not on the field and he can't really recreate the magic he had last year uh, with poor target quality and him going as like a low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two right now. So, you know, if, if Dak gets injured and Tony Pollard gets more carries than we're thinking – you could easily look at Zeke, Dak, and CD all missing their ADP. But you're claiming it with an injury. That's the only part I'd well, bother. Dak's going into the season but... with an injury. Huh? That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong about yeah. that. That's it, kind of like it's this... one thing to predict injury. It's another thing to say for, state for a fact that someone is injured. Yeah. Okay, so I'll give you that one. All right. My next bold one, Julio Jones finishes higher than A.J. Brown. And he's actually the wide receiver one in Tennessee. Mm. Is he a wide receiver? If I one? told you a calendar, I mean, you could throw it on there. I mean, if he beats AJ Brown, he probably has to be right. Maybe that's the pair of teammates that both finishes one. That's true. But I mean, if if we're looking at this a year ago, 2020, going into the season, and I said Julio Jones is going to be on a new team next year, do you think he's going to be the number one or number two? You say he's going to be the number one because yeah. there's only a handful of situations, at least looking at it a year ago, where he would be thought of as the number two. Yet, everyone's calling A.J. Brown the one. Julio's going to get somewhere between a time and a half to twice as many targets if their career trends continue. And maybe now that you have a new scheme and a different quarterback, you could start scoring some touchdowns. I, I could very easily see this happening. I, I don't think I'd bet on it, but I could absolutely see it happen. Yeah, I mean, with how high you are on Julio, you have to be really high on Ryan Tannehill, huh? 
Oh yeah, Tannehill's great. No. Everyone loves Ryan Tannehill with what he does on the ground. Like, so I think a lot of this is going to come at the expense of Derrick Henry. The team's going to be throwing the ball a lot more. It, it, that's that's what I see happening. So you took th- so look at last year, and it's like, what did they lose in the passing game? Corey Davis had like three good weeks, and Johnu Smith is, in my opinion, trash. And for some reason, people thought he broke out last year. He didn't. Like, there, there wasn't a lot vacated. I think a lot of this is going to come at the expense of Derrick Henry, and it's going to be more Ryan Tannehill, more Julio Jones. Yeah, I can totally see. That. I think that's why I'm a little bit lower on, on Henry than most people. My last one is Adam Troutman, comma, tight end three. The tight end three? The tight or end a three. tight end three? Uh, like above, tight end 27? Above tight end George three? Kittle and above <laughs> oh, Kyle Pitts. Oh, oh, my goodness. I'm not going to be able to eat for a week. That was spicy. <laughs> it's real hot. I, I don't even <laughs> want to hear you back it up. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I can. That's <laughs> the only thing I can yeah. say is that he is, he is All right. the love of the offseason, and uh, I've been bought in for a while, so. Hey, he's, he's one of the guys that you or myself have everywhere. And as you said, you ended positively. I'm going to end, uh, we'll call it a mixed bag. Teddy Bridgewater finishes 2021 as a top as a top 20 fantasy quarterback and still loses his job in 2022. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> he's still replaced, whether that be by a rookie coming in or an Aaron Rodgers trade a veteran on the free agency market. Oh, yeah, I could totally see that for sure. It would be like a uh, – was that situation in Seattle before Russ Oh, with Matt out. Flynn? Yeah, when Matt Flynn like, played good in, in uh, Green Bay and then played they well, paid yeah. him. And it was just – He actually – I, I believe he still has the single-game passing yardage record for the Green Bay Packers. No way. What is it? it, it the single-game passing yardage record for the Packers. It was, week, it was a Week 17 game – back i remember i was at a buffalo wild wings watching this it was against the detroit lions and so what year did russ come in the league like 2011 uh yes maybe a little bit earlier okay so so it might have been it was like 2010 2011 somewhere near the super bowl team there great yeah it was 2011 sunday january 1st week 17 against the detroit lions the green bay packers are 14 and 1 going into the game Nothing to play for. Matt Flynn gets the start. He goes 31 completions on 44 attempts, 480 yards, six touchdowns, and a pick. Jeez. My God. I, I do. And get, get this. He was the second-best quarterback on the field statistically that week. Matthew Stafford across from him finished 36 of 59 for 520 yards, oh five touchdowns, two picks. Game? The Packers win forty-five to forty-one. Oh my god! It's a great <laughs> what a game classic, ever classic game. The fifteen and one two thousand eleven Packers. Oh gosh, that team should have went to the Super That's Bowl. Insane. That that offense was so good. All right, man, are you ready? Hold on. Jordy Nelson had nine catches for one hundred and sixty-two yards and three touchdowns. I had Jordy for a Calvin while. Johnson. Calvin Johnson had eleven for two forty-four. Oh my god. <laughs> What was this game? Someone put Madden on rookie settings for this game. That's Outstanding. The Lions were 10 and 6 that year. Wow, I'm, I'm getting swept up. Sorry. Do you remember Niall Davis? 
Nile, yeah, he, uh, so running back, obviously. Who all did he play for? I remember with Kansas City. He played for Kansas City. Um, did he play for Washington? So he played for three different teams in 2016. It was his last year in the league. And shame Did on you. play for Green Bay? Shame for on you. Yeah, he played for Green Bay for a little while. <laughs> I was going to say, I think he may have been like their RB3 or 4. Oh, for like listen a, to this stat line for Green Bay. Five rushes for five yards. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's that's not that. even the best part. His long run was for four yards. <laughs> oh, and then he had four for one. Four, four for one, yeah. Nile Davis, because he was the handcuff for Jamal Charles for a while there, wasn't he? Yeah, and everyone thought he was the. I think that's how I remember. So him. fast, they were like, "This guy's just so fast. Like, if he gets a chance, he's good." <laughs> he was in the league for four so years, fast. for like three and a half years. That was it. <laughs> hey, that's a that's a fast career. Oh, all right, man. That's it. We are done. We're bold. We did it, dude. NFL football is starting soon. I know. Can't wait. Like, super soon. Like, we're going to get into the season and talk about football, and it's going to be real, and it's going to count, and we're going to get fantasy points, and we're going to love it. Should we tell the people about the schedule change, possibly? Sure. I I think that's a great idea. Yeah, so we will be doing a little bit of a shift as far as what to expect uh, moving forward. Our recording days are going to be during the actual primetime games on Monday night and Thursday night throughout the entire season so you'll get live reactions from us as we record the show will go up sometime the next day but live reactions from us recapping all the events on saturday or sorry on sunday previewing the following week and the most important thing in my opinion that we're going to change is we're going to get into weekly buy sells both for contenders and for rebuilders so no matter what situation your dynasty team's in whether you just took over an orphan whether you just won the ship All right, we're giving you advice on both ends of the spectrum. Each week, we're going to tell you, if I'm a contender, these are the moves I'm making. If I'm a pretender, if I'm a rebuilding team, these are the moves that I'm making. These are the guys that I'm targeting. The right times to buy, the right times to sell. We're going to help you stay atop the dynasty fantasy football market. Yeah, it might seem a little redundant doing it every week, but we want to give you guys actionable stuff each episode, right? So we're not just trying to Things are changing each week. Yeah, we're not just trying to recap like every other show. Trying to give you something actionable that you can take from it and uh, leave the show smarter, uh, making better decisions than you were when you came in. So, hopefully, you guys. It's are just like the to stock that. market. Yeah, absolutely. You can you can play the long game and you could just throw your money in and not pay attention to it, or you could be like us and you can day trade and become a millionaire overnight. We're gonna tell you the moves that will make you fantasy millionaires overnight. Yeah, I remember when I made my first million. <laughs> if I had a nickel <laughs> for every million. I, I don't know where I was going. I had going a nickel for every first million that I made. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have at least a nickel. All right. Follow us for more of these hijinks at FFlexecution on Twitter. Follow me at FFMasterDebater. All the latest news during the season. We're going to get more and more. It's going to keep rolling in. Check our Twitter page again. That is FFlexecution on Twitter. All right, folks. Have a good one. Hope you loved it. Peace. Football! <laughs>